0: 10 o'clock. So I've got uh, at least two hours (laughs) before lunch. I just wanted to break the ice a little bit and and maybe lower your expectations a little bit. The camera makes you look good. I'm not that smooth. Um, You heard and maybe you saw my my surname, my fun, is Yap. But I am the furthest away from Afrikaans, other than location. That I could possibly be. My family is somewhere between, or well, my father's side of the family is Welsh, and my mother's side is Scottish. Um, I have a British passport um, and a South African one, um, but I did, funnily enough, in my my early years, um, younger years. I turned 50 this year, by the way. Um, <laughs> but. Um, there was a time when young men needed to go to the defense force in this country. And um, as God's sense of humor would have it, um, I was brought up in Durban, a little place called Yellowwood Park near a uh, Nature Reserve, um, a surfer boy, um, and I really desperately wanted to be a Navy diver. So that was my choice number one, and of course... The government sent me to Pretoria, and in Pretoria, with a, a name badge that says "Yapon," um, not only are you expected to speak Afrikaans, but you are also the single name that comes to mind when somebody needs a volunteer. <laughs> Yapi. So. If there's an expectation for me to use Afrikaans here, my Afrikaans is limited to. That is totaal onenformal. And jy bietjie bykom, which we'll reserve to discipleship and accountability, and we will take out of the preach. Okay. So that out of the way. For those taking notes. Um, the preacher's title, A Special Gift. So today I wanted to share on something that's relevant to all of us. I know you've been doing a season on faith. Um, And this is something we exercise without even realizing it in many different ways. Um, In actual fact, I was exercising faith this morning in coming through here, jumping into the car, jumping onto the N1 and driving here. And you came here by car too, didn't you? And um, just a question, before you came, did you do an AA test of your car before you got in your car and turned the key on? No. And how do we know that the the pyrotechnic pretensioners in your seatbelt are going to go off in the event of an accident? We don't. How do you know that your airbags are going to deploy in an emergency? The truth is, we don't. Sure, we may all service our vehicles from time to time, but we really don't really know, do we? How many of you had a cup of coffee before the service? Did you add milk? Yes. And you know bad milk. How did you test the milk beforehand? (laughs) You, most probably like me, didn't even have a second thought. And we find ourselves dealing with it normally after the first mouthful. (laughs) All normal daily acts of faith in a way. And so throughout life, every day, in some way or another, we're exercising faith in many areas. And often, we just take this for granted. But there's another kind of faith, a faith that that has to go beyond the normal. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. A faith that can't be measured. A faith that we can feel safe, a faith that can't be rationalized, like in mathematics, that one plus two equals three. Sometimes there's something in life we assume or take for granted, but then we find out a little bit further down the line that it's not in the grand scheme, not in God's plan for our life. It was just our assumption And all the time, when we look back, we can actually see He's got another plan for our life. He's got something bigger in mind. And this would demand faith on our part. So I just want to summarize a point early. I'll preach into it. In getting something, we need faith. This morning, I want to say, and also in not getting something, we need faith. You know, it's a paradoxical truth. Paradox is something that says two things, and both are wrong, and both are the same. I can remember back in 2016, um, feels like a long time ago, but I was diagnosed with Um, renal cell carcinoma, cancer, that had devoured my kidney. It was 30 centimeters and 3 kilograms uh, when they discovered it. And I remember a time when the church family rallied around me. I love the testimony from this morning. And some were, in fact, so upset with God that a man of faith, have been struck down by this awful disease. At some point, some folk had actually said it was my lack of faith that was the cause. Anyway, soon after the surgery, when I was in recovery for some time, I started having the most random visitors um, in my room. I was blessed with a private room through a friend. And this one couple appeared so upset that God hadn't yet rectified the solution before I had surgery. Because they were a couple of faith. And they were believing God for this miracle and wanted me to wait for their faith to work out. And they were visibly knocked by the lack of evidence of healing. Funny how sometimes those lying in bed, recovering, end up ministering to those that come to support (laughs) and pray. And I told them of my time with Jesus. The day I was diagnosed and how I, in what I thought was full faith, went on my knees before him and touched his shawl in the crowd, And Jesus, the picture I had was Jesus turning and he looked at me and said, I see, I see you, you touch my coat and I will heal you, not as you think though, you will still need to go under the knife, but I will give you a gift far greater than any physical healing. I'll give you the gift of faith. And I received. You see, in the midst of life's challenges, we may find ourselves feeling overwhelmed, discouraged, or lost. But it is precisely in these moments that our faith becomes a beacon of hope. We are reminded that we are not alone. We are reminded that God walks beside us every step of the way. His promises reassure us that he will never leave or forsake us. Amen? You see, faith is also a supernatural gift from God. And we read this in Scripture Ephesians 2 8 9 affirm this, this. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. We see, while faith is a gift from God, it is also a personal response. It requires an active decision and a willingness to trust and follow His leading. It is a beautiful expression of the relationship between God, us, His people. His people. Say His people. It is both a gift bestowed by God's grace and a response of trust and obedience of our hearts. You see, I propose... Propose that your Christianity, untested, is actually just a belief. People often use faith and belief both in the same context. I remember the word this morning. We're talking about geloof. Is that right? Amen. (laughs) What is Belief in Afrikaans? Very close. So, people often use faith and belief in the same context, sometimes interchangeably, like not really concerned, but they're not quite the same thing. A belief is a strongly held opinion about an idea or worldview. Beliefs are also opinions that you form about what you read, hear, or see. Your belief can change over time as you grow and learn new things. Faith, on the other hand, is not something you started and add to. Faith can only be received, and it must be given by God. We can grow in our faith, But the foundation of faith is always the same. It's something that he has laid down. I'm thankful for that. If we have true faith, we can take on the doubts and questions that life throws at us. A belief may waver, but true faith received from God will always remain intact. James 2.19 says, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Belief is not enough. You see, you can believe there is a God, even that there is one God. But do you believe He is your God? God produces faith in us by giving us a new heart and opening our eyes to see that He is our God and we need Him. Does your faith in God change the way you live your life? There are some that say they believe in God, but the way they live their life does not change. They are motivated by other factors. The faith I'm talking about that we receive from God changes how we live our lives, motivates us to keep moving forward in life. Having faith in the Bible means trusting the Word of God that He gives us. The faith that has begun in us will begin to grow as we expose it to His Word. It's knowing that every time you read the Bible, the word of God is being imparted to you. At the core of our faith lies the message of God's boundless love through His Son, Jesus Christ. God reached out to each one of us, extending an invitation to experience His grace and forgiveness. It is through faith in Jesus that we are reconciled through God and granted the gift of eternal life. The gift is not based on our merit or accomplishments, the things that we do, but it's based on His unconditional love and mercy. Amen. I remember just before Will Maria passed away, anyone... No more, marae, seen, heard. Um, good friend. It felt as if we had a connection through the Lord, not just for some reason. He was going through a lot that I was going through or had been through as well. Um, he's a giant of the faith for me. I don't want to say I gave him anything, <laughs> but he gave me. He gave me an understanding. Having gone through something of a similar journey, and I remember a discussion we had on faith, and what he said to me remains to me, in me, to this day. He had asked the Lord at some point for a revelation on faith, and the Lord had shown him that we must do the ways of God. This is faith. And leave the works of God up to him. In a later preach, he outlined what he meant. And an example he gave was that if somebody's sick, it demands faith to land, lay hands on the sick. The Bible says in Mark sixteen seventeen to 18, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. It says in the Word, if, if you lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And the prayer of faith that has been offered will raise that person up. James 5:14 to 16. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So when it comes to the sick we told in various ways to lay hands on the sick if somebody feels the need call the elders that's me and let them anoint you with oil and confess any sin you know of and you will be raised up and delivered from your sickness so there are different ways that the lord shows us that we need to exercise faith through. Where there's a need in our life, we want to exercise this faith. But a reminder, we don't do the work. We do the way of God. You see, our responsibility and our reward is always in doing the ways of God. The way of God with sickness, laying hands on the sick, anointing with oil, that demands faith in itself. We even find some people don't want to do it, just in case it doesn't work. This is wrong. The responsibility as to whether it's going to work or not is not our responsibility, that's God's responsibility. My reward, ultimately, is for doing what he's asked me to do. He's asked me to lay hands on the sick. He's asked me to do what's necessary. Given to us in the word of God, so that when we do the way of him, he comes and does his work. Very interesting, it's the same as giving in in life, giving money or giving things to people and within the life of our faith, within the life of the church. I know a lot of people that give into things expecting it be used in a certain way or with conditions or with wanting to see a result. It's It's not your responsibility In God's way, we're going to be rewarded someday for giving. Likewise, I'm going to be rewarded for laying hands on the sick. But I'm not going to be rewarded or responsible for multiplying what I give. That's the work of God. That's God's responsibility. I've just been asked to give. And so, throughout life, I'm going to do what I need to do as a believer. And that's what I'm asking you today. Whether the person gets healed or not, whether the finance is multiplied or not. I I think we've got time. I would love to read Hebrews 11 with you guys. I'm going to read my version so I don't have to look up there, crane my neck. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteous that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham opened, obeyed, when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, and they were killed with the sword. They went about it in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. That's my public reading of the scripture for today. But what a super chapter full of people of faith. But yet, we do read It says some people had their dead raised back to life. Other people didn't. Some people were healed, and yet other people weren't. Some people, it says, refused to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says that they were sawn in half for the sake of a better resurrection. Crazy. Crazy. Does your faith come into that? See, faith is something that secures me. And it's something I see and you should see throughout Scripture. Faith isn't something we do. Faith isn't something we possess. Just so we can acquire something that we want. Faith is a person. Biblical faith is not based on blind trust, but on a relationship with a God who revealed Himself through His Word and through His Son, Jesus Christ. Time and time again it says in Scripture that we must put our faith in God. We must put our faith in Jesus. When I do that, what I'm saying is, Whatever the outcome, I trust you, Lord. Whatever's going to unfold, whatever's going to materialize, I trust you, Lord. I trust that it's going to be part of your perfect plan for my life. Diving in Cape Town, operational medic Pretoria. Romans 12, to 2 A Living Sacrifice. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So that in offering my body, as Paul the Apostle says, sometimes as a a living sacrifice, it's only acceptable unto you. It's my reasonable service or repayment in the light of what he's done for me and for you. All so that God be glorified. Not because when I pray, I'm instantly healed. No, God glorified, is glorified and is seen and in the unseen, in the realm of the known and the unknown, in this natural realm and in the spirit realm. God is glorified like he was with Job. Everyone know who Job is? Job was healed. He did have all his possessions returned to him, which was magnificent. But I loved the space between between him being afflicted and him being healed, and what he said that glorified God was to his wife and to his friends. He said, listen, must we only be thankful to God when everything goes right? Must we only exercise faith and go exercising faith in good times and not in bad times? Is God or my view of God changed because what I need isn't met? I love the truth that came out because what Job was actually saying was, it's you, God, who I'm secured in. That's going to show faith. It's who I'm depending on that's going to show faith. So whatever happens to me in this life, once I've committed my way to God in faith, believing that my God is going to bring about a magnificent result, which is in itself wonderful. And the reason I say that is because when God is involved in our circumstances, He is always glorified. And sometimes, somebody is healed, and God is glorified too. An example we often use for men and women of faith are the missionaries that were martyred in the early years as they found themselves in deepest, darkest Africa, doing the Lord's work and died. We call them great men and women of faith. Perhaps you know of Lance and Sue McIntosh in Malawi. They've been there for the last four or five years. Great, faithful couple. Or even know of a modern-day missionary at Frontline Missions, um, sneaking across borders into the Sudan, literally smuggling Bibles and tracts, Bible tracts, into underground Christian churches, and then escaping um, or using escape and evasion techniques. They actually train in escape and evasion techniques and firearms and to get out undetected. Great men and women of faith. Would it interest you that the truth about faith isn't only reserved for this particular group of people, as men and women of faith? Let me tell you, when you woke up this morning, you need exactly that same amount of faith. Same amount of faith that they needed in their jungles and deserts. You need faith that God will keep you today. You need faith that God will provide for you today. You need faith that God will protect you. That God would energize you for his purpose. That God would surround you with his presence. That's faith. I need faith for that. Because the situation that's going to confront you tomorrow is going to be unique, just for you, tailor made. And no two challenges are the same. But we need to engage with what life is going to bring to us. Can't not. We need to confront with what life is going to bring us next in faith. And that simply means that I believe that God will make a way. I believe that what God has said, even when the weapons are formed against us, whether it's physical, illness or disease, financial, emotional, psychological, so many people are filled with so much fear today because the devil knows That fear cancels faith. He knows that you can't have fear present in your life and faith. If this happens, then this is not true faith. No, true faith is courage. Courage in His magnificence and the provision of who He is. God. The God. Your God. My God. True faith is going into something, admitting and acknowledging that this thing, if it's left up to me, is not going to work. Lord, in my weakness, I come and let your strength become evident. That's faith, and God responds to that. We must be a people like we read about in Hebrews 11 who like them are filled with a confidence that allows us again and again to know the one who has given us his promises. That he's a God who is also able to back them up in his way, in his time, how he wants to so that he can be glorified. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those three young men that went into Babylon with Daniel in about 600 B.C. Judah destroyed, and now King Nebuchadnezzar is sitting on the throne. We read of the king's men ratting out these young guys, friends of of Daniel. Anyway, let's read together what it says. Daniel 3.8, the fiery furnace. A different version. I'm going to read from mine just in case. <laughs> Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, well, a Scottish lover, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews Jews who you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be bought. So that they brought these men before the king, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, What these three giants of the faith were actually saying, I love this, we win either way. Even if we go into that fire and we don't come out, we know that our God will keep us. Our God will preserve us. He will sustain us. He will take us to a place that He has prepared for us. We can never lose. Why? Why? because we are young men of faith. We believe our God. So I'm trusting that we too, in this big, formidable, wide world, and the difficulties that are facing all of us, especially as Christians, specifically how we are called to conduct ourselves, as we no longer represent ourselves, but are actually called to represent Christ himself. It's now Christ that dresses us. It's his clothes we wear. When people look at us as Christians, they should be seeing Jesus. That we trust God and allow God's purpose and God's presence to fill us. And perhaps we'll get to see what will happen as we begin to exercise true faith in God in all areas of our life. I love what Paul says in Philippians 4, to 13. I don't know if I gave it. Oh. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Paul uses the word content as if going through life with God, that contentment with God is great gain, the reward. And I want, to say to you, true faith does this. Faith secures that in God, I become content in Him. Contentment isn't getting what we want. If you thought that, that needs correcting. It doesn't work that way. Contentment is being able to enjoy what we have through Christ while you wait for what you want. Just knowing all this doesn't remove the wants or the will, they're still there. While you wait for what you want, whether you get it or not, and our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. I want to say to you today that God has made all that which is necessary and perfectly so to keep us, to sustain us, to strengthen us, and to one day take us into his presence. He's given us this gift of faith. So that when others look at us, they will see something in us and they will not understand. We're all trusting that what they're actually seeing is God's love and God's purpose reflecting in us. Amen? My story. That's my story. I don't know where you guys are. I don't know what your background is. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what's happening relationship-wise, work-wise, health-wise. We see a testimony of the healing. Maybe this testimony is of not being healed yet. One day I know we are promised uh, a glorious celebration in heaven where we get to be in eternity. Now, me, myself, I'm not particularly fond of building up rewards for me in heaven, He says that that's going to happen. But my great reward is eternity with him. Now, I don't know how to do this altar call because it's it's really a strange one. But I want to ask, is there anyone here who perhaps is in the realm of belief versus the faith? that can be somebody who hasn't chosen Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. It can be somebody who's maybe given their life to the wrong Jesus, the sentimental one, the one that doesn't challenge, the one that doesn't watch as you go into a fire. You cannot believe that Jesus would put you in a fire. So belief on this side and then true faith on this side. So I want to see if there's anyone here who either doesn't know Jesus or is needing some prayer for true faith. So can I ask to see a hand and then we'll sort out who or what you are needing. Is there anyone here? Anyone here, firstly, that does not know Jesus Christ? has not submitted their life to them, is not prepared to go into a fiery furnace. And, and I'll, we don't think we'll ever be sawn in half. But dying to live means carrying that cross daily. And carrying that cross to the Romans means losing all rights to life. That's what it meant in the day. When you picked up your cross, it meant that the world had the right to trash you, to hit you, to spit on you, to swear at you, to throw stuff at you. You no longer had rights as a citizen. That's what Jesus is asking us to do, actually, daily, to pick up your cross, to give up your rights your entitlement to choose him, to understand our brokenness, to receive a gift that doesn't come through working or being something. just comes by accepting that gift and wanting to be in his presence. And then everything comes. Everything comes. So if that's you, with every eye closed, head bowed, you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior can I ask you to raise a hand I'd love to come pray with you so one thing you have to respond to he gives it he says I will give you eternal life but you need to accept it you need to receive it that's you right now can I see a hand not going to labor you've got good men and women here and good leaders you can pray for you Um, i pray father that the gift of faith finds everybody here well and secure in the knowledge of you at the helm you at the steering wheel of life i pray where there's pride that pride submits hands over the steering wheel or or control I pray where the world is making inroads and having effect over territory that we claim is yours, Father, yet we we give it up easily. Perhaps it's in our relationships with one another, with colleagues. Our King, I, I pray that there's a recognition and eyes opening up to the one that dresses us in perfect robes. The one who we call to reflect In everything we do. I pray there's much love, much faith, much grace, and mercy amongst your people here in Paul. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen. Sure, Thank you so much, Ryan. And uh, yeah, just how beautiful is such a word in season. Um, and yeah, it's really, you can just see the line with what God is doing in our midst, so thank you, thank you very much Um, yeah, so if there's